0: This is case closed. Your weekly hour of old time radio mystery that you can find every Wednesday at RelicRadio.com. This week we'll spend the hour with Frank Lovejoy and hear him in the Amazing Mr. Malone. With cleanliness is next to godliness. His story from August 28, 1948. Then he's back again in Night Beat for Old Home Week. That story aired September 4, 1950.
1: The Amazing Mr. Malone. <laughs>
2: Operator Operator, get me the office of John J. Malone
1: The American Broadcasting Company presents The Amazing Mr. Malone An exciting half hour of mystery Created by Craig Rice and starring Frank Lovejoy Our locale is the city of Chicago The time, the present, and the hero of these weekly adventures, the amazing Mr. Malone.
3: Malone is the name John J. Malone, attorney and counselor at law. And tonight I'd like to turn the spotlight on the old cliche, cleanliness is next to godliness. As a case in point, I give you Tony Milano. Mr. Milano is one of Chicago's biggest operators. He runs half a dozen nightclubs in town. And rumor has it if you're bent on a little more action, Mr. Milano can accommodate you there, too. Of course, to run an enterprise of this kind, he needs help. And that's where Georgie Kelk comes in. Kelk is his right-hand man, but Tony never believes in letting his right hand know what his left hand is doing. Which no doubt explains Georgie's bafflement as he walks into Milano's private office with a nondescript little man in tone.
4: Here he is, Tony. Is he the one? Yeah. Grimes, this is Mr. Milano.
5: Uh, gee, it's a great pleasure, Mr. Milano. Uh, what like, I tell my missus? You're not going to tell your missus anything. huh? This is strictly between us, Grimes. You know what I mean? Oh, sure, Mr. Milano. Anything you Uh, say... Just step back a little like a good fellow,
4: What? Mr. Milano doesn't like people breathing into his
5: face. It uh, spreads germs. Know what I mean? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Did Georgie tell you what I wanted? Uh, No. How could I? I
4: didn't know myself.
5: I was saving it for a surprise. Mr. Grimes... You're the janitor at the Belmore Apartments, you know. Uh, janitor? I'm the superintendent. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I mean the superintendent. You got a tenant living there named uh, Reed. You, you mean Jack Reed? Oh, you bet. He's a swell guy. He's a Mister Grimes, and I'm so close. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Uh, now, how about you letting me and Mister Kelke here in Jack's apartment?
6: Oh, I-, I couldn't do that, Mr. Moreno. that wouldn't be right.
5: I give you a hundred bucks.
6: What?
5: All you got to do is loan me your pass key.
6: Uh, no, no. Two hundred. Could... Well? Wow. All
5: I want is the key for just one hour. Oh,
6: what are you going to do, Mr. Reed's apartment?
5: Oh, nothing that will get you into trouble.
6: You said three uh, hundred?
5: I said the two, but I'll let you chisel me. Okay, Mr. Milano. You, you want to shake on it? If you don't mind, uh, let's just say it's uh, a deal. Huh?
4: Mr. Milano doesn't believe in shaking hands.
5: Oh, oh, giant! You know what I mean. Give Mr. Kelk the key. <laughs> Mr. Reed does all right for himself.
4: Tony, I don't approve of this whole idea.
5: There are a lot of things I don't approve of, Georgie, but I don't let them make me unhappy. For Pete's sake, that's course, enough. You gotta... See if there's anything in the desk. Oh, all right. Hey. Hey,
4: will you take a look at this?
5: You got something?
4: Yes, indeedy. Jack obviously doesn't believe in banks. I bet there's close to, uh, to 20 G's in his bundle.
5: Put that back. Oh, I just thought Put over... that back. Okay. Hey. Hmm? What's... What's this thing here? Oh, that's a rabbit's foot.
4: A rabbit's a foot? Yeah, it's supposed to bring you luck. But what's this charm attached to it? It, uh... Oh, the Jack Reed from Gene. With this
5: and me, you can't lose. Who's a Gene?
4: Oh, it must be the gal whose picture's on the piano.
5: Hey... That's what I call a good-looking girl. Find out... Who
4: she is and
5: where she lives. Yeah. And uh, put that rabbit's foot in your handkerchief.
4: What for? I want it. Now, look, Tony, this whole thing here, it doesn't cost a half a buck.
5: Maybe, but it's worth a half a million to me. Wrap it up, Georgie, or we take it home. <laughs> Why,
7: if it isn't my old pal Tony Milano. Have you been you son of a gun? Put her there. If
5: you don't mind, Chris. Oh, you and your germs. You know Georgie Kerr. Of
7: course. How are you, Georgie? Fine. Uh, sit down, gents. You, uh, you're not uh, busy? I'm never too busy for you, Tony, but you know how it is. When you're a politician, your time isn't your own. You're always out slaving for your constituents.
5: Slaving for constituents? Yeah.
7: Uh, what's the matter? Anybody giving you trouble?
5: Yeah. Who?
7: You just say the word Jack
5: and... Jack Reed. What? I said Jack Reed. He opened up a place two blocks from mine. Oh,
7: well, I'll take care of that. Well, I'll shut him up so
5: fast that... Who do you think you're kidding? Well, I, I don't understand. Reed couldn't operate five minutes without you. Are you insinuating yeah. that... Oh,
7: now, now cut it out, Tony. You know, if someone was to walk in now, they wouldn't realize you're kidding. I'll tell you what we'll do. You know. ain't
5: going to do anything, Christie. When I buy somebody, I expect him to work only for me. Know what I mean?
7: For, for Pete's sake, man... You don't realize what you're doing. I've got a wife and two kids. they
5: get by on your insurance.
7: Tony, please, you've
5: got to listen to you're me. You're breathing in my face, Sir Christie. It's a very unsanitary...
7: Well, you've got to give me a break. I swear I'll straighten this whole thing out. I'll talk to Reed. I'll... I'll, I'll.
4: Uh, it took you long enough, Tony. What were you waiting for?
5: I just want to hear what he's got to say. Where's that uh, rabbit's foot we got from Jack Reed's apartment? Oh, here it is. Put in his hand. Okay. Maybe it will bring Mr. Christie luck where he's gone.
6: Hey, Sam, let's get
4: through that flugel Ah, oh, you got that step all wrong, Marge. I'll show you. Hey, Rex, give me the Wang Wang blues. I want to show Marge that break. Now, watch, honey.
7: That's it, that's... Hey, mister. Go away,
4: bud, I'm busy. Now watch, Marge? Ha-ha!
5: <laughs> mister.
4: Are you still here? It... Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Milano. I... I didn't recognize you.
5: That's all right. You got a girl singer in the show named, uh, Jean? Jean Patterson? Yeah, that's the one. She around?
4: Yeah. Uh, would you like me to show you her dressing room? I appreciate it. Oh, that's okay, Tony. But... What? Oh, I... I mean, Mr. Milano. Say, uh, you wouldn't have a spot for a hoover in one of your clubs, no. would you? I just thought I'd ask. No harm trying, you know. This it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Gene! Gene, uh, you decent?
8: What do you want? Eh.
4: Uh, you got company.
8: Just a second. Hello. Who are you?
5: Tony Milano.
8: Well, I'm glad
4: to be of some service, Mr. Milano. Hey Rex, wait a
5: minute! I want to see you. Well, you—you're going to invite me in?
8: Why should I?
5: Well, it's awfully drafty standing here. You know that's how most people catch a cold. What
8: do you want, Mr. Milano?
5: Just to get acquainted. You see, I saw your picture somewhere, Jean. Jean? You can call me Tony.
8: Not really.
5: What's the matter, Jean? Don't you want to be my friend?
8: Well, it's a wonderful offer, Mr. Milano. But you see, I already got one.
5: Oh. You mean uh, Jack Reed?
8: Who told you about me and Jack?
5: I got his spies.
8: Well, I don't know where they pick up their information, but apparently it's from a reliable source. So you see, I... We
5: can't be friends.
8: I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Milano. But if you care to leave your name and address... You
5: will let me know if there's an opening.
8: Well, I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you.
5: Oh, that's all right when i see something i like i'm a very very patient man goodbye jean don't forget don't forget to give me a call
6: No, no, it can't be. Oh, but it is. Well, how are you, Lieutenant? Fine, fine. Don't let me stop your playing. Oh, I was just toying around. Hey, hey, uh, hey what um, brings you here? Can't you guess?
2: Oh, <laughs> I, I told that jerk so for mine not to <laughs> pluck me the plug. It's a little tougher wrap than that, Jack. Ever see this rabbit's foot before?
6: May I? I'm afraid
2: not. But I'll be glad to read you the inscription on the charm. It says... To Jack Reed from Jean. With this and me... Where'd you get that, Lieutenant? Oh, then it is yours. Not necessarily. Come on, Jack. There's no use being cagey. I already checked it with a jeweler. He told me it was bought a couple of weeks ago by a girl named Jean Patterson. Where'd you find it? In the one place we shouldn't. You know Chuck Christie? The boss of the Pelham District? Yeah, only Mr. Christie just got himself a new territory. I think we've had enough riddles for tonight. He was murdered at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Well? Well, right near the body we found your trinket. Looks like losing that foot was the worst possible luck for you and that rabbit. Let's go, Jack. I got a car downstairs.
1: You are listening to the amazing Mr. Malone. Today, more than ever before, Americans must be made to realize that freedom and the rights of the common man are a precious heritage. History has proved that people start to lose their freedom the moment they think it's forever secure. That's why we must all work at keeping our American heritage of freedom, for freedom is everybody's job. As a good citizen, remember your American heritage and work to defend your individual liberties. Do this by taking a more actual part in the affairs of your community and in fulfilling at all times the duties of American citizenship. Now, back to the amazing Mr. Malone. And that's where yours
3: truly got into the act, and without even seeing the script. But six hours after the arrest of Jack Reed for the murder of Chuck Christie, I was pounding the pillow at home. I was right in the midst of a horrible nightmare. An ape-like face was bending over mine, tickling my throat with a razor. And suddenly I made an interesting discovery.
9: It was no dream. Come on, Malone. Get up. You're uh, asking the impossible, comrade. If I ever moved now, I'd be minus a head. And you know something? I'd look better without it. You put that razor away. Do I look weak-minded? Don't expect me to answer that while you're caressing my throat. Well, you shouldn't blame me, Malone. I know. I got the skin you love to clutch. Say, you're a regular vaudeville show, ain't you? Yeah, ain't I. What's your name, friend? Rube Gelder. Rube Gelder? Yeah. I work for Jack Reed. You know him? I know him. Well, early tonight, the police picked him up for the murder of Chuck Christie. The politician? Yeah. It's a lucky thing for that cop, I wasn't around. Otherwise? Otherwise, I would have broken his back before I let him walk off with the boss. What's this all got to do with me? Well, I love that guy. When Jack says to me, Rube, go out and get a lawyer. You decided to give me the business. Yeah. They say you're the best mouthpiece in Chicago. Oh, it don't seem possible. It isn't. Well, we'll soon know. Now, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get dressed and go down to see Jack, and you're going to get him out. Am I? Well, you would better. Did it ever occur to you once I'm out of your sight, I might tell this story to the police? And did it ever occur to you that it might occur to me to visit you some other night with this razor? Only next time I might not bother to wake you up. I see what you mean. Then what are you waiting for, Malone? Get going.
6: Now, I all the idiotic stunts. Wait till I get my hands on Rube. So help me, Malone. No,
3: no, don't upset him.
6: Well, I, I want you to know I never suggested that piece of business to him. I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> what a schmo. He seems awfully fond of you. He's nuts. I don't know why I keep him around. I'm sorry you got in your hair, Milano. It's
3: all right. Lieutenant! What are you calling him for?
6: I thought you were ready to go.
3: Don't you want me for a lawyer?
6: Sure, but I figured. Forget
3: it. Did you kill Christie?
6: Why should I?
3: But the police have a pretty convincing theory. They believe Christie was selling you protection for your club. So? So maybe Christie was told to close you up. By whom? Tony Milano.
6: Why couldn't Tony have killed Christie?
3: Well, he could have. Only there are a couple of things that argue against it. One, Tony had Christie in his hip pocket. You don't generally destroy what you control. There's even a stronger argument than that. What? The rabbit foot they found near Christie's body. Oh, that's a frame. You generally carry it with you?
6: No, I don't believe in that stuff. Last I saw of it, it was in my desk.
3: Anybody else have a key to your apartment? Nope. Oh, that's just dandy. About this gal who gave you the rabbit's foot, what's her name?
6: Jean Patterson.
3: You think this Jean No, might... no,
6: I want her kept out of this, Malone.
3: Well, you're asking the impossible, She's check. got nothing to do with this. Suppose you let me decide that for myself. Lieutenant! I want out. Yeah? Hello, Jean.
8: Do I know you? No,
3: but that can be easily remedied. My name is Malone.
8: And you heard me singing one night and you decided I was the girl of your dream. No,
3: not quite. You see, I'm a lawyer.
8: Well, when I want to sue somebody, Mr. Malone. Oh, don't
3: call me. I'll be tied up with Jack Reed. Jack Reed? Didn't you see this morning's papers? No. They're holding him for the murder of a politician named Christie.
8: Maybe you better come in. Thanks. Now, what's this all about?
3: Well, you see, this Christie. I'm
8: not interested in that. How am I involved?
3: Well, they found a rabbit's foot you gave Jack near the body.
8: You listen to me, Malone. I didn't even know Christie. No one
3: says you did, Gene. All I'm hoping to accomplish... Don't
8: tell me your plans. I'm not interested. Jack's got some nerve ringing me into this. Well,
3: in all fairness to him, lover, it wasn't Jack's idea.
8: Don't tell me it was yours. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mr. Malone. This is just the kind of publicity I love.
3: You don't seem to realize your boyfriend's in a jam. He may go to the chair.
8: Oh, I'm awful sorry for Jack. What about me?
9: What about you?
8: I got my career to think of, and if you'll excuse me, Mr. Malone, I'll give it some thought right now.
4: All right, all right. Take it easy. Yeah? Yeah?
8: Mr. Milano in?
4: Oh, you're Gene Patterson, aren't you?
8: Would you mind telling Mr. Milano I'd like to see him? He isn't here. But when do you expect him?
4: Uh, never. Now, if I were you, sister, Where right is there, it,
5: Georgie?
4: It's nobody, boss. I'll it's be right... It's
8: me, in... Tony. What? It's Jean. Oh.
5: Hello, Miss Patterson. It was
8: Jean the last
5: time. Yeah, but you say then you don't want to be friends.
8: Can't I change my mind?
5: Should I throw her out, Tony? You crazy? Jeannie, come on in. Thanks.
8: Say, hey, this is quite a place. Uh,
5: nicer than uh, Jack Reed's?
8: Well, different. Who picked out this color scheme?
5: You don't like uh, white?
8: Reminds me of a hospital.
5: It's very antiseptic.
8: Oh, yeah, of course, I good.
5: Sit down, baby, sit down. Uh, maybe... Maybe you like a drink, eh? Yeah,
8: but there's something else I'd like for her.
5: Well, you just to name it.
8: A little privacy.
5: All right, Georgie, you heard the lady. What's the matter with you, Tony? Go on and beat it. Jeannie and I got a lot of things to discuss. Are you
4: so. crazy? How do you know she wasn't sent here by Malone? Go on, sister, blow.
8: You gonna let him talk to me like that, Tony?
4: Now, listen, sister, I know all Shut about it. Shut up! You.
5: Now, get out. Okay, Tony.
4: I'll see you around.
5: Don't bother.
8: Why, Mr. Milano, you're all right.
5: A dirty low life. Look. Look what he did to my knuckles. Oh,
8: oh, you caught him. Maybe I can make it better.
5: No, no, no. We mustn't take a chance on infection. You you sit there, baby. Tony be right back. And then we're going to have a nice long talk.
10: (laughs)
9: Hey, Oh, mind. Hello, Rube. Where can we talk, Malone? What's wrong with this? Well, uh, I did like you told me. I followed that Jean Patterson. And where do you suppose she went? Where? To see Tony Milano. Tony Milano?
3: You sure about that, Rube?
9: I swear on my mother's grave. I wonder where they first met. Well, it couldn't be so long ago. Jean's been going with Jack ever since she came into Chicago. <clears throat> what happened? Well, they got long swell. The boss was nuts no. about her. I mean, in Milano's apartment. Oh, well, how should I know? I'm no peeving, Tom. Oh, yeah, a couple of minutes after she walked in, Georgie Kelp came out. Tony's boy? Yeah, uh, he was rubbing his jaw.
3: Sounds like they might have had trouble. Well, what do you think, Malone? You did all right, Rube. Let's hope I can do as well. <laughs> Well, there it is, Lieutenant. What more can you want?
2: A little proof for It's as thing. obvious
3: as a hole in your head. Tony framed Jack Reed. Why? Could be for a million reasons.
2: Oh, I love how you throw those figures around.
3: Well, it's true. Now, suppose Tony had a yen for Gene Patterson. So he
2: kills a politician he has in his pocket just to get rid of Reed.
3: All right, maybe that came later. Maybe Tony didn't have Christie in his pocket. We know Christie was selling him out.
2: How do we know that?
3: Well, Jack was still operating... He couldn't do it without Christie's help. You're
2: changing horses in midstream.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, the more I think about it, I bet it's the real reason. Milano had an exclusive on Christie's services. When Christie double-crossed him, Tony put him away.
2: And what about that rabbit's foot?
3: I don't know where Milano got his hands on that, but if you work hard enough, you'll find the
2: answer. You're amazing, Mr. Malone. <laughs> oh, am I? Yeah, you're making sense for a change. And you believe my client was framed? Yeah, the only thing that bothers me is how to prove it.
3: Well, Georgie Kelk must have been along with Tony at the time of the killing.
2: You don't think George would talk?
3: He might if you staged it, right? What do you mean? Let Jack Reed go. Are you stark raving? It's our only chance. What do you think will happen when Tony finds out the police no longer suspect Jack Reed? What? I don't know either. Let's find out.
8: Come on in, darling. I'll be ready in just a minute.
6: Hello, Gene. Jack. What's the matter? Aren't you glad to see me?
8: Well, of course, darling. It's just... Well, that's such a surprise.
6: Well, that Malone's quite a lawyer.
8: Then they know you didn't kill Christie.
6: That was my impression. Well, who did? What's the matter, Jean? You're thinking of hedging again?
8: I don't get you, Jack.
6: I heard about you and Mr. Milano. You what? Mm-hmm. Rube filled me in on the gory details.
8: Oh, listen, Jack, you got to believe me. I was only doing it for you. Oh, baby. Oh, I mean it. I thought I could trap Tony to make him some admission.
6: I've got to hand it to you, Jean. That's a, that's a nice piece of ad Libby. Ah,
8: oh, darling, when I cross you?
6: You'd cross your own grandmother if you thought it would do you any good. What are you going to do now, baby? It's only a question of time before they pick up your new meal ticket.
8: You think you're so smart. Well, Tony's twice the man you good are. Good for him. You think he's going to take this laying down?
6: No, what's he going to do? You just watch
8: and see, Mr. Reed. You just watch and see.
2: Uh huh Brooks. I
3: never would have known. How we doing, Lieutenant?
2: Great.
3: What do you mean? That
2: plan of yours is working like a million. Letting Jack Reed go certainly started the ball rolling. Why,
3: did I tell you? Yes,
2: certainly did.
3: I'll bet Tony Milano doesn't know where he's at. Mm, Probably not. What about Georgie Kelk? You hear from him?
2: Yeah, about ten minutes
3: ago. I figured he'd be scared, silly. what do he have to say?
2: Not very much. Why won't he talk? For two reasons. One, he ain't in the mood. Two, he's got a bullet through his head.
1: I want to see you, Malone. You are listening to the amazing Mr. Malone. Everybody knows about today's critical housing shortage and the various reasons for this shortage. But there are many people who do not think of one very important contributing factor, forest fires. Last year, forest fires burned enough trees of saw timber to build about 86,000 five-room homes. Nine out of every ten forest fires are man-made. Most of these man-caused fires are due to plain carelessness. And that's why everyone, therefore, should follow these simple rules of forest fire prevention. Crush out cigarette, cigar, and pipe ashes. Break matches in two after using. And drown all campfires. Remember... You are a potential firebug, so be careful. Now, back to the amazing Mr. Malone.
3: Twenty minutes later, I was down at headquarters. When I walked into Lieutenant Brooks' office, the first one I noticed was my client, Jack Reed. He didn't say anything, he just shook his head sadly and motioned toward the desk. Then I saw Brooks. It's lucky I did, because he was sighting a revolver at me. Well,
2: if it isn't the amazing Mr. Malone.
3: I got a good mind. You haven't got a good
2: mind. And put down that gun. If you had any brains, I swear I'd blow them up. What happened?
6: You tell him, Jack. Well, I, uh, I went up to Georgie Kelk's place about 8.30 the
3: night. Now, what did you do that for? I told you to stay away. Yeah, I see now.
6: It was a mistake. Anyway, Georgie was certainly surprised. I think if I'd had five minutes more, I would have gotten the whole story. Well? well? Suddenly, the door opened. All I saw was an arm and a gun. I yelled to Georgia to get down, but I was a little late. It was a shot. A second later, someone tossed that rod into the room and almost brained me.
3: Is that the gun there?
2: Yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, what about the... Fingerprints. Yeah. a 1. It's as clean as a baby's thoughts. Whose gun is it? Mine? What? Yeah,
6: it's an old one I had in my apartment. Well, how did it... Well, how
3: did my rabbit's foot
2: get near Christie's body? Here we go again.
3: Listen, Lieutenant, you looked into that angle? Uh-huh. What's the story?
2: The superintendent of the house, a boy named Grimes, has the only passkey.
3: You think this Grimes might have done business with Tony Milano?
2: We're checking that now.
3: Well, when you finish, give us a call. We'll be over at Tony's. <laughs>
8: if I know Jack... Why are you
5: worried about, Jeannie? I know Jack, too. Yeah, but
8: you don't understand. Malone got him out. He's
5: a pretty good lawyer. Now, you listen to me, darling. You got nothing to worry about. Didn't Tony say he'd take care of you?
8: I know you will, darling. It's only that...
5: Yes? Hello, Tony. Malone. Jean and I were just talking about you. Well,
3: I appreciate that. You know Jack Reed, don't you? Jack.
5: Sure. How
3: are
6: you, fellow? He's the boy, Malone.
5: I'm a water boy.
3: Uh, where were you around 8.30 30 tonight? Why? That's the time Georgie Kelk
5: was murdered. Not a good old Georgie. Yes, a good old Georgie.
3: You got an alibi for that time?
5: Yeah. Yeah. I was right
3: here. Uh huh. And, of course, Jean's your witness. That's right.
8: Oh, now look, I don't want to be involved. Oh,
5: sure, you got your career of. What's to think the matter, of. doll? Don't you remember? We were sitting right there.
6: You're lying, Tony.
3: You sound like you can prove it, Jack.
6: I can't. He's the one who
5: shot Kelk.
3: You're out of your mind.
6: You didn't see his face. No, I didn't have to. You see that bandage
3: he's got on his knuckles?
5: Where did you pick that up, Tony? None of your business.
8: I'll tell you. Shut up. He hit Kelk when Kelk insulted me.
3: I didn't think that was possible. Go on, Jack. What about the bandage?
6: Well, when he tossed the gun into the room, I noticed You're it. a liar. I don't
2: think so.
3: Whoa! Come in,
2: Lieutenant. How did you make out? Couldn't be better. Superintendent admits he sold Tony here the use of the passkey for 300 bucks. What do you say, Milano?
5: Nothing until I see a lawyer. What's wrong with me? You mean... You mean you take my case? Well, it all depends. I think I could get you off of Georgie's murder.
3: Are you out of your mind, Milano? Don't you think I can, Jack? No. Ah, you're just saying that because you killed him. He what? Let's have that again. What for, Jack? You got it the first time. You killed Georgie (laughs) Kelk.
2: How you do it, Malone? Shall I tell you a secret, Lieutenant? No, you don't either. All right, what's the real story?
3: Well, it all comes down to Jack Reed's idea of poetic justice. He thought once we figured that Tony killed Christie and planted that rabbit's We'd foot... we
2: figured figure Georgie Kelk's murder was the same routine all over again. That's it.
3: What convinced you otherwise? Jack's gun.
2: Why was that any different from the rabbit's foot?
3: Remember you told me there were no fingerprints on it? Oh, no, there weren't. Well, obviously then, Georgie's killer had to be wearing gloves.
2: How do you arrive at that?
3: Jack claimed he chucked the rod into the room right after the shot, taking no time to wipe it off. So? So, later, Jackie said he knew Tony was the man because he spotted him by that bandage on his knuckles.
2: But if the murderer wore gloves, how could you see a bandage? You couldn't. Oh.
3: See how simple it is?
2: Well, being simple-minded yourself must help you a great deal. Yes,
3: it does. When you work up to that state, you'll find out.
2: Well, you know who I'm sorry for? Yeah.
3: Jane Patterson.
2: I wasn't thinking of her.
3: Well, I was. Ah, poor girl. She tried to blade both ends against the middle.
2: Mm. Wound up with nothing.
3: I beg your pardon. Where are you going? Well, I, uh. I owe Jane something for putting away both her friends. Maybe I can further her career. Good night, Lieutenant. hear the story of the blasé character who thought nothing could surprise him until he tried murder and he was shocked to death. I'll fill you in on all the details next week, so why not pick me up at my office at the same time? I'll be waiting for you.
1: Good night. Frank Lovejoy was starred as John J. Malone. Our program was written by Gene Wang with direction by Bill Rousseau. Music by Rex Corey. The Amazing Mr. Malone is produced by Bernard L. Schubert. And now this is Dresser Dalstead inviting you to tune in next week. The events and characters depicted in this story were entirely fictional, and any resemblance to actual places or people, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. The amazing Mr. Malone has come to you from Hollywood. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Nightbeat.
3: Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began with a girl fighting for her life in the rapids of a rushing stream and ended in the quiet depths of a
11: poisoned cup. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone.
3: guy in my business has to take his vacation whenever he can get it. And the best I could get was a string of short weekends at a little resort town called Paradise Lake. It's only a few hours' drive from Chicago with lots of woods and streams. It's a lovely spot located just outside my income. It was after one of these weekend, if you'll pardon the expression, vacations and I was heading for Chicago in time to get back on the job that night. I checked out of my rented cabin and had just crossed the bridge over Rocky Creek when suddenly I saw her. I jammed on the brakes. The girl lay on the edge of the road unconscious, my front wheels almost touching her. Hey, you, what's the matter? I got out of the car and ran over to her. The late afternoon sun gleamed on her wet, disheveled hair and she was soaking wet. I could see tracks where she climbed up from the rapids below to the edge of the road. I chafed her wrists and slapped her hands a little. Hey, wake up. Can you hear me? What happened? Come on, baby. Snap on Oh. That's the girl. Oh. no. Well, you look like you've been half drowned, beautiful. I... Oh. Well, she's still out. Well, better get you into my chariot before you catch pneumonia or some other car finishes you off.
10: Up we go.
3: Hmm funny how silk clings when it's wet. I went back to my cabin, I got her inside and put her on the sofa, and I started the fire in the fireplace and got the oil stove going in the kitchen. Eagle Scout Stone was doing his good deed for the day. I'd be late for the office tonight, but she looked as though it might be worth it. I came out of the kitchen and saw that she was sitting up, her big gray eyes wide and a little dazed.
12: Who are you? Where am I?
3: Her name is Randy Stone. Drink this. What? Go on, go on. St. Bernard would have brandy, but on my salary, you'll have to settle for this. (laughs) Drink it down.
12: How did I get here?
3: We'll exchange questions later. All right, now, down the hatch. (laughs) That's a girl. Oh,
12: I'm soaked.
3: Better pull this blanket around you. There.
12: Well, I'll be warm in a minute.
3: No, you're shivering. You better wrap it a little tighter.
12: You, you can let go.
3: Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put some more wood in the fire. What's your name?
12: Pat Torrance.
3: What did you do, slip and fall into the creek? Fall? Now, don't tell me you were in swimming, or is that a new style in French bathing suits?
12: Oh. No, I didn't fall.
3: All right, easy now, easy now. Now, what happened?
12: I was pushed. You were what? She pushed me. She tried to kill me.
3: The girl got up, one hand at her throat, her eyes wide with frightened memory. The blanket fell away from her shoulders, revealing a lovely outline all the way down.
10: I remember.
12: I was standing on that high bank overlooking the rapids.
3: Yeah? Well, who did it? Who was she?
12: I... I'd better go.
3: Thanks for... Whoa, whoa. no, wait a minute. Whoa, no, Take it easy. Get warm for us. You'll get sick.
12: I really must go. Francine's probably worrying about what's happened to me. I've got to get back. Francine? Francine Moore. We have a cabin on the lake.
3: Oh, I must have been blind to have missed you all the time I've been here.
12: We just got in today.
3: Oh, I see. Well, whoever pushed you in certainly didn't lose any time, did she?
12: I'd rather not talk about it.
3: Maybe i better drive over to your cabin and get your girlfriend to bring over some dry clothes and then round up a cop on the way back. Oh,
12: no. No, please, not the police.
3: What's everybody got against the police? Why not?
12: Not right now, anyway. I I want to talk to Uncle Ben first, her father. Uncle Ben? Well, he's really not my uncle. I mean, well, he raised me when I was a kid. I owe him an awful lot. Uh, Ben who? Mason. He runs the hotel here, Paradise Inn.
3: Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean Ben Mason's daughter, Margaret? Why would she want to kill you? Because
12: she hates me. Oh, I shouldn't have listened to Francine. She said I might get a chance to rest, to straighten things out in my own mind. Then when we get here, I find
3: Marge already on the scene. Yeah, but Pat, what makes you think it was Marge who pushed
12: Oh, it was her, all right. She's broken up my marriage, stolen my husband, and now...
3: Now she's tried to kill me. Well, beautiful, all I can say is that any man who'd pass you up for Marge Mason is the kind of a guy who'd marry Hetty Lamar for her money. Just what did happen?
12: Well, I'd been walking along the creek. Uh-huh. Francine was busy getting the cabin fixed up, and I was going to the store. When I got to the little footbridge, I suddenly saw Marge standing there. I had no idea
13: she'd be here at Paradise. Why, Pat, darling Dad said you were here, but it didn't seem possible You and Francine together (laughs) Ed's old girlfriend sharing cabin with you Francine Moore was never, as you put it, my husband's old girlfriend, and you know it Really, dear? Hasn't Francine ever mentioned it? Well, no matter There comes a period in every man's life But she was just a comma in his. Why, you unscrupulous... How naive can you get? Ed's played the field all his life, and he always will. You never really understood him. I thought I understood you. I looked on you as if you were my own sister. I trusted you. That's what Grace used to say about you. Grace? Yes, dear, Grace Rainey. Another member of Ed's harem. She's here at Paradise Lake, too, you know. Grace Rainey... What do you mean? Oh, Why Dad? is she... Gave her a job as a hostess at the inn. The same big blonde cow. But you know, Ed, he always did suffer from high blonde pressure. Ed was never interested in Grace. Wasn't he? Don't play innocent with me, darling. It's really jolly. You, Grace, Francine, and I, together once again in the old hometown. Old home week. All we need is Ed on the scene. And I shouldn't be surprised if he weren't on his way. What? You mean he's coming here? Come now, Pat. How corny can you get? Cut the act. You must have known he was planning to spend a few days here. Why else did you come? To get away from him. From everything that reminded me of him. Oh, please. Why don't you do the decent thing? Call it quits. Give him his divorce. Why? So you can profit by what you've done to me? I've tried to be patient with you. I've gone a long ways to try to reason... Keep right what...
12: on going. Don't ever let me see you again. All right, All right, Pat.
13: If that's the way you want it. But if you insist on clinging to him like a spider just to spite me... You've only yourself to blame if anything happens. What do you mean? Is that a threat? Take it any way you wish. Any way
3: you wish. And Mars just walked away and left you there? Yes. Yes. Then how could she have pushed you?
12: I I don't know. She must have come back. There was no one else around.
3: She had the motive, I suppose, but still... It like a
12: bad dream. To think Marge could do a thing like that. We used to be so close. We were even brought up together when we were kids.
3: All right, now, all right. Everything will be all right. Use my shoulder if you want. You want a handkerchief?
12: Thanks. What did you say your name was?
3: Randy Stone.
12: Oh, you've been very sweet, Randy. I must be a sight to behold
3: Well, on the contrary, you're a sight to behold. Oh, I'll bet (laughs) That's a lousy pun, it?
12: Anyway, this fire's nice and pleasant
3: Yeah, yeah Say, maybe I better fix up something to keep you from catching cold Oh, I'll be all right No, no, no I got some stuff left in the kitchen and in this bottle I'll fix you a hot toddy Oh,
12: don't bother, Randy It's
3: no bother at all After you drink this, I'll drive over to your cabin and get your friend Francine
12: All
3: right Uh, where is your cabin?
12: Just
3: at the inn across the road. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll have this ready in just a few seconds. Well. So we had some hot toddy together. I hadn't had all the ingredients, maybe, but at least the essentials were in it, and it wasn't too bad. I got her to tell me something about herself. Her struggles, her dreams, her telephone number. Suddenly I realized how late it was getting.
12: Late? Late. Oh, golly, it is at that. Francine will be frantic.
3: Yeah, not to mention my boss when I get back to Chicago tonight. Your boss? Yeah, the night editor.
12: You mean you're a reporter?
3: Any objections?
12: Yes, you'll put this in the paper. Oh, why not? Oh, you mustn't. It'll hurt Uncle Ben. If he finds out what's happened between Marge and me, he'd be terribly upset.
3: Yeah? Well, now, look, dollface, you just watch your step and make sure you don't get any free publicity yourself in the obituary column. That'd really upset dear old Uncle Ben. Now, you sit right here until I get back. If Marge or whoever it was who pushed you in catches you alone, there's no telling what might happen. I guess I just never could understand the feminine psychology. Bunch of dames trying to bump each other off over a guy who was never any good to begin with. (laughs) Give me a nice, clean, masculine murder any time. At least it makes some sense. I drove back toward the inn following the road along the course of the stream. And then suddenly ahead of me, I saw a couple of flares burning in a car parked across the road with its headlights focusing on the rushing stream below. I pulled up. A big white sheriff's star was painted on the car's side. Some men were working along the edge of the stream and a small crowd was watching. Me. I got out, walked down the bank toward the edge of the creek. Oh,
10: now There were two
3: girls standing at the edge of the crowd. One was a tall blonde who was crying softly and the other was Marge Mason. Hiya, Marge.
13: Randy Stone. What's going on? They're dragging the creek.
3: Dragging the... What for?
13: They... They're trying to recover the body.
3: (laughs) The body? Whose body? A friend of ours.
13: A girl named Pat Torrance.
3: I see. Uh, What happened?
13: Grace says she jumped in. Yes. Yes, I saw her.
3: Oh, you did? When was this?
13: Just a short
14: time ago. I was on my way back to the inn from the store, and I heard her
13: cry out. A moment, I could see her face through the trees as she fell in. Randy, this is Grace Rainey. She acts.
3: Uh, yeah, I uh, I noticed.
13: Randy Stone, a reporter from Chicago. Gracie,
3: oh, a reporter. Couldn't you get help? Wasn't there anyone else around? No,
14: it was so dark. I didn't see anyone. And she couldn't swim. I knew she couldn't swim. She couldn't swim. Grace can't either.
3: He can't act either. Uh, what makes you think she jumped?
13: This wasn't the first time she tried to commit suicide. That's right.
3: How do you know that, Marge?
13: Why, her husband told me, Ed. Just a week ago he tried to persuade her to go to a sanitarium and take treatment.
3: When did he tell you that?
13: Why just this afternoon.
3: This afternoon?
13: Well, I was talking to him on the phone when I ran in and told her what had happened. It was awful.
3: You mean talking to him long distance to Chicago?
14: Why, no, Mr. Stone. Ed Torrance got here this morning. He's right here in Paradise Lake.
11: NBC is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Bloom becomes a thing of the past on Tuesday, September 19th over most of these NBC stations... When genial Art Linkletter returns to prove once again that people are funny. Check your blues at the door because there's no room for them in the merriment when the fortunate prize-winning contestants go through a wide variety of mad antics on People Are Funny. That date, September 19th. And it's important for another reason. It's the day that Fibber McGee and Molly and their delightful guests at 79 Wistful Vista will be back where the chimes are, NBC. Now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone.
3: Well, the police started dredging the creek at Paradise Lake for the body of Pat Torrance after her friend, Grace Rainey, said she'd seen a jump in. We stood around watching them search for the body, Grace, and another of Pat's one-time gal friends, Marge Mason. So many girls involved in this mix-up, I was beginning to feel like a lone male at a ladies' seminary tea. I wondered if I should tell the gals that at this very moment Pat was sitting in my cabin alive and kicking. Poor
13: Pat. Marge kept she talking as
3: we watched them drag the stream.
13: Complex. Ed said she even thought drivers were trying to run her down in the streets.
3: Well, why isn't Pat's husband here? Ed knows what's happened, doesn't he?
13: Yes, Marge told him on the phone. I. I don't know why he isn't.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, say, uh, which one of those officers is the sheriff?
14: You'll probably find the sheriff in their car up there, Mr. Stone, with the white star on the door, see?
3: Oh, yes, yes. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> Promise or no promise, I figured it was time to bring the law in on Pat's story... ...that Marge or someone had tried to murder her. There was a solitary figure sitting in the sheriff's car... ...a heavy-set old dame built like a battleship and a voice to match.
10: Yeah, what
15: is it?
3: I'm looking for the sheriff. You see... I'm the sheriff. You?
15: Pick up your chin, mister. What do you want? Uh,
3: Well, I... I beg your pardon, Yeah, yeah,
15: I know. Well, I'm not the only woman sheriff in the world, Buster. There have been others... You're a stranger here, I take it. Well,
3: yes, yes. My name is Stone from the Chicago Star. At... Chicago
15: Star, eh? Yeah. By thunder, every time you turn up a wet rock, you find a Chicago Star reporter underneath. Mm,
3: I don't understand oh, what you know mean. Oh, you know, not
15: eh? Now, look, Bob. I don't know how you got here so quick. Or well, why you think a suicide in this county is important enough for the high and mighty Chicago Star to
3: send a reporter. Out. Well, it's passing. But I don't I... care,
15: see? See? And what's more, as far as I'm concerned, you can ski-dattle right back to Chicago. Oh, uh, yes, sir. What's that?
3: I'm sorry. I'm just confused. Oh, uh, you get don't...
15: no cooperation from my office. Do you understand? Well, frankly, no. I haven't forgotten those stories your paper printed about me during my campaign for office. Well... So I was a joke, eh? Ha! I didn't have a chance, did I?
3: Well, now, look. I'm sorry, but I personally didn't have a thing oh, to go do Go
15: back with... and tell those morons who run your paper that Dolly Maynard was elected in case they have not found out yet. Well, maybe it's I caught up with them. I'm a they machine politician, and as long as I'm in office, no... None
3: of their hack reporters will get a single story out of me.
10: Yeah,
3: well, I. uh, What kind of a hen house had I gotten into here? Dames. (laughs) Well, I left her there sputtering, her fuse still burning. If the sheriff of Paradise Lake indicated the local level of sanity, maybe it was just as well I kept my mouth shut as Pat had asked me to. So I drove on past Paradise into Pat's cabin across the road. The light inside shone through the drawn blinds. Pat's roommate, Francine, was apparently still there. I got out, walked across the road, and up the short gravel path to the cabin door. I could hear voices as I approached.
12: Oh, how awful. How utterly awful. I know, Francine. It's hard for me to believe myself.
3: It was Pat. Oh, I'll
12: get it. Randy!
3: I thought you said you'd stay put at my cabin.
12: Oh, forgive me, Randy. I just couldn't. I got so nervous there all by myself. Come in, won't you? Oh, Francine, this is the man who rescued me, Randy Stone. Uh Oh? This is Francine Moore, my very best friend.
3: How many best friends can a girl have?
16: Oh, I'm so grateful for what you've done, Mr. Stone. Pat's my dearest little old friend, and if anything had happened to her... Well,
3: everybody else thinks something has happened to her.
16: What? What do you mean?
3: Well, when you hiked up the road, didn't you notice the crowd by the creek? Creek, no. Well, they're dragging it for your body. My, oh no. Oh yes. How could you miss seeing it?
12: I didn't come over the road. I cut through the meadow. I didn't want anyone to see me all wet. Oh. Well, what are they? I mean, what makes them think that Pat told... in the police?
3: No, no, not me, baby. They're already looking for you. When I came by, everybody thinks you jumped in.
16: Jumped in? Yeah. at you? you didn't of course not i told you how it happened i was pushed oh, mr stone did anyone see her how would they know
3: well grace rainey says she saw her oh grace
16: you mean she says she actually saw me jump in?
3: she seems to think she did
16: pat
12: pat darling couldn't you have just slipped and thought oh, no they somebody... i tell you i was pushed i didn't just imagine it francine why do you look at me that way Someone did push me deliberately.
16: Oh, now, darling, why don't you go to bed now? And in the morning, I'm sure we'll all have a more sensible outlook on everything. Listen, I'll fix you a cup of hot chocolate. Go
12: on, dear. Go to bed. Oh, Francine, you're a love. Good night, Randy. You've been wonderful. Thanks so much for everything. Yeah, send me a
3: medal. Good night, baby.
12: (sighs) Poor dear, Pat.
3: What does that mean? What? The way you said that. Oh,
16: well. Come into the kitchen. Oh, the poor darling has been under an awfully severe nervous strain the past month or two.
3: Hmm. Did you know that Ed's here, too? No. Yeah, the Don Juan husband of hers, Marge, was talking to him.
10: Here? At Paradise
16: Lake? Yeah. Well, why would he come here?
3: Well, he probably heard it was open season on Danes.
16: Oh, no. Now, seriously.
3: Well, Pat seems to think it might be on account of Marge.
16: That's strange. Hmm. Oh, uh, would you like some hot chocolate? No,
3: thank you. No, thank you. I I better be on my way now that Pat's in good hands. Nice to meet you, Francine.
16: See you again sometime, I hope.
3: Well, you never can tell. Good night.
16: Goodbye, Randy, and thanks again.
3: I went back to my car. I got in. I lit a cigarette. I sat there for a while wondering where Ed Torrance had been when Pat was pushed into the creek. There are a lot of things I began to wonder about, Ed. What kind of vitamins did a guy have to eat to get into his league? I was about to turn on my lights and start back to the end to find him when I saw the dim figure of a girl stealing around from the back of the cabin. It was Pat. I opened the car door quietly. The dim figure halted suddenly, tense and looking my way. I couldn't see her face, but there was something about her that was different. No, it wasn't, Pat. It was someone else. I jumped out, and as I did, the girl fled toward the trees, a filmy scarf streaming behind her. Wait! I ran across the road as she disappeared. I started running down the road after her, but she crossed it and disappeared into a grove bordering the inn. I thought I saw her go up the veranda of Paradise Inn, and I bounded after her. There was no one around except a couple of elderly dowagers in rocking chairs. They stopped rocking when they saw me, and I asked them, uh, Did a girl just come in?
15: A girl? Which girl, young man?
3: Uh, a girl. Any girl. Nothing. Are you? Oh, never mind. I... And just then, over the side railing, hurrying up the garage driveway, I saw. I turned and ran down the steps. It was just a glimpse, the lights from the inn glinting on her reddish brown hair as she hurried past, heading for the guest cottages and back. Hey, wait, wait a minute. Yes? What? Marge, it was you.
13: Why, Randy, who did you think it was?
3: Didn't you just come from behind Pat's cabin?
13: Whatever are you talking about? What would I be doing there?
3: I'm, I'm sorry. I, I thought I saw you. Well, uh, never mind.
13: What's the matter?
3: You seen Ed tonight? Ed? Yeah.
13: Why, no. Why do you ask?
3: Well, I just wondered why he came here today.
13: Well, he... He must have found out Pat had
3: come here, I suppose. He phoned you, you said?
13: Well, Yes. Why are you asking all these questions?
3: (laughs) I'm a reporter, remember, dear?
13: Um, Grace is fixing some coffee at the cottage we're sharing here and back. Why not join us before you go?
3: I wouldn't miss it. This way. So you're bunking with Grace?
13: Yes, The inn's so crowded I had to move in with her in one of the guest cottages. The one right over there with the lights on.
3: Oh, yes, I see. Looks like she forgot to draw the blinds.
13: Yes, and the window's wide open. I hope she isn't under... Well,
3: it's a warm night... Looks like she's curled up in that easy chair for the evening. She and that telephone.
13: That woman. She simply monotonizes the telephone.
3: Right around this way, Randy. But, mm-hmm.
13: why do
14: you
13: have to leave without
3: least telling Wait. Wait
14: at least what's the matter? Quiet.
3: Marge put her fingers on my lips and we stood there by the cottage door motionless. Grace Rainey's voice came through the open window clearly. And with every word, Margaret Mason grew more tense and strained and her eyes more stormy.
14: Yeah, darling, this
3: Ed again, this Superman.
14: Yes, I know, dear. My darling, was a bit stuff. <laughs> I can imagine how surprised you were when you put the cottage and she on the phone. Why, of
16: yeah. all the... Shh,
14: steady, steady, steady. Yes, I know, darling. Well, Francine's here, too, but what of that? All that water in the creek, you might say. There's nothing to stop us from getting married.
11: Married? No,
14: dear. If they haven't found the body, the patched daddy... How do I know? Well, you see, darling, I saw her pushed in. Yes, that's right. Pushed. She did it. Well, let's face it, darling, we both wanted her dead. So, now wishes wish she's driving. We're free to
13: marry. Free, is she? So, you're free, are you? Must. Not for long you won't be, you two-timing, double-crossing she Judith. Easy,
3: easy, easy. You'll
13: be in jail within 24 hours for
14: murder.
3: Yes, well,
13: again, dearie. You see, I know who killed Pat Torrance. Oh, my
16: goodness. What's all the commotion?
3: Francine. Francine Moore, little Miss Dixie, stood in the doorway that opened on the little back porch. When I saw her standing there, a long silk scarf trailing over one shoulder, I knew at once it had been she who'd come from around back of the cabin, hoping not to be seen.
16: What are you... What are you doing here, Francine? Oh, I thought I'd drop in to straighten out a few little things for both of you, you and Marge. Francine, what do you mean? If you thought Ed had any intention of marrying either of you, I'm terribly sorry. Because you're wrong. What? Ed and I are being married as soon as his divorce is final. Oh, you are, are you? Yes, Grace, we are.
3: Well, congratulations. How many of you is he married?
14: I'd say those congrats if I were you, Randy, because she isn't marrying anybody. Little Miss Moore is going to the electric chair for murder.
3: Great. Now, wait a minute.
14: I saw Francine push Pat in the creek.
16: Oh, how very amusing. So I murdered Pat. Well, do you know where she is? At our cabin, asleep in her own bed. How long do you think that story will stand up? Ask Randy.
3: Well, I left Pat at their cabin, all right, just a few minutes ago. So?
16: She's got you to lie for her, has she? Well, I shouldn't have left Pat alone, Randy. She's not well. No telling what she's liable to do, but... But I felt I owed it to these ladies to set their minds at rest, if they have any minds left. You're not getting away with it, Francine. I'm going to the police right now. Come back here, Grace.
10: Come back, I'm warning Francine, you. Francine, drop
3: that gun. Let go. Take the
10: hand. Oh,
3: drop please. it. Do I have to break your arm? Oh, stop so me. you came here to find out how much Grace really knew? Now you know the game's up. Killing won't do you any good. You'll finished. You're through. All right, drop it. Stop. gun exploded as it hit the floor. Francine's soulful brown eyes widened in an instant of horror, and then suddenly she slumped. And I know that little Francine had caught one of her own bullets. Marge and I bent over her. Randy,
13: Randy, is
16: she? Get on the phone um, quick.
3: Get a doctor.
13: Yes, yes.
3: Francine,
16: oh.
3: Francine, do you hear me?
16: Randy, go, Mary, go to Marge. the cabin. I'm in the cottage. Pat, I'm going to bring a doctor over here.
14: Pat,
3: please. Pat, what about Pat? Francine, is she all right?
16: Pat, mustn't. Mustn't drink the hot chocolate.
10: Poison. Poison?
3: I didn't bother with the car, but covered the hundred plus yards between the inn and Pat's cabin in an unofficial world speed record. I yanked open the cabin door, rushed through the room and into Pat's bedroom. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I came for some hot chocolate. Did you drink any?
12: Hot chocolate? Have you gone crazy? Of course not. Can't you see I've just come out of the tub?
3: Yeah, yeah I, I didn't mean. Uh, I'll wait outside. Uh, get your clothes on, beautiful. You're having more company. What? Who? Oh. For the sheriff. She'll want some of that hot chocolate, too, so don't touch it until she gets here. You understand? Well, it's 4 a.m. in Chicago again, and tonight's story is full of women as a sultan's harem. As the French say, Cherche <laughs> sure, dames. And on this trip, I found plenty of them, with a moral to go with each one. For Marge, hell hath no fury like a woman tripped up trying to skip with another woman's husband. And for Gracie, gentlemen prefer blondes. On the theory, no doubt that where there's light, there must be heat. For little Francine... Well, she tried to take life cheerfully. The life, that is, of anyone who stood in her way. And as for Pat, well, you don't need any morrow for her. A girl with a map like she has can usually find somebody to read it. (laughs) Yep.
11: Copy, boy. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Urban Ashkenazi with music by Frank Worth. In tonight's cast were Barbara Fuller, Rose Hobart, Shirley Mitchell, Eileen Prince, and Martha Wentworth. Frank Lovejoy will next be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Three Secrets, released by Warner Brothers. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Sunday marks the return of Theatre Guild on the air, with Rosalind Russell and Charles Lawton as first guests in Edward, My Son. A week from this Wednesday, that's September 13th, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman resume their popular roles in The Halls of Ivy. And please remember, this weekend, 400 Americans have a holiday date with death. Stay off the list. Be careful. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
0: There's more from Case Closed at RelicRadio.com. More from the amazing Mr. Malone, Nightbeat, and all of the other Relic Radio podcasts. And our shoutcast stream with even more old-time radio. Lots to listen to there, all made possible by your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thanks again to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me again this Wednesday. I'll be back next week with another hour of Case Closed.